evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to the second episode of the Big Footy Bombers podcast for 2021. This is the third recording that we've made. We've had a couple of guests come and go in that time, but I am joined still for the third time by the man who created the original Big Footy Bombers podcast, and that is the prosecutor. How are you this evening? Mate, I'm doing fantastic, and uh, you know, I, I think the third time will be the charm here. Just you know, reinvigorate myself, get back into the theme of it, and hopefully we can uh, nail one out here. So for anyone wondering, the other two candidates that we did have on, we had Jade uh, on Monday night who did record with us, but due to my microphone, which uh, certain former editors of this podcast will laugh when they hear, we had to redo because my microphone wasn't good enough. We then also just had Eath Dog on the second recording. However, due to his microphone to save Beerfish's ears, ears we uh, we decided to cut him early, restart and jump back. So now it's just Pross and I. So Pross, we'll start with the GWS game. I thought it was an, a bad game. I'll admit I didn't see it live, but I have seen various replays and highlights and what else since. The hooker incident for me is pretty clear cut. It wasn't a mark. It was definitely a free kick. What's less clear cut is whether he would have kicked it. And I certainly don't know if it cost us the game as much as everybody is, who's listening to this is probably screaming at me that it did. Well, I mean, you see it a thousand times a week, though, where a decision's not paid. And I mean, yeah, sure, we can have a look at this and isolate the incident with like 50 seconds to go. But the reality is there were so many events that happened within the game that how do you, how is it fair just to isolate this one when you can say, well, we conceded six goals in a row. Why is that, um, you know, any less to blame than an umpiring debatably error? But, um, I mean, it is what it is in the end. And I don't think in the grand scheme of things, this is going to be one that we look back on and, you know, harbour any real grudges over. So I think we just move on and uh, accept that um, you know, hopefully we'll be on the other end of the stick one time soon. Yeah, I think the other problem is, from an Essendon fan point of view, is that it happened in Sydney. And and we do feel like we've had the raw end of the stick up there, whether it be against the Giants or the Swans. You know, they Gary Rowan throwing Marty Gleeson aside, Dane Rampey, who shook the goalpost. Even earlier this year, I certainly was angry with the umpires after the game, although I calmed down afterwards and, and probably reflected more like on what you've just said in that plenty of other things happened during the game. So I certainly think the Sydney factor comes into it when decisions like that go against us? Well, if you haven't seen the early Simpsons episode, um, Homer versus the uh, city of New York, I highly recommend you watch it because <laughs> it epitomises what an Essendon supporter feels about the state of New South Wales. Every time we go there, it just seems like we get rogered in one way or another. And every time we add a few more blisters from where that stick's been, from being on the wrong end of it. And once again, it's uh, come to fruition on Saturday. But um Again, hopefully um, one day soon we'll start to be on the other end of it and, um, you know, we'll be uh, laughing when it comes to September and we're winning finals in the MCG against these teams. We'll start with positives. I mean, obviously, the two main positives for the weekend were Darcy Parrish and Zach Merritt, again, kept their form going. I think Merritt had 37 disposals, Parrish had 35. Then you're throwing, of course, a third one in Nick Hind, who had 29 disposals again. They are probably... I mean, that's just... I say. Um, the last few years for us, isn't it, with Nick Hind? We've effectively um, come out pretty much even when it comes to uh, Hind facade. And then we've got ourselves Zach Reed there as like a bit of extra pocket change on top of it. 
It's fantastic. I'm not sure I'd say that Nick Hind is just as good as Adam Saad yet, although I will just quietly note that Saad had a very forgetful game on the weekend himself, but as he's no longer part of Essendon, he's not the focus of this podcast. The other player <laughs> that I think uh, was exceptional in the role that he played coming on so late was, of course, Matt Guelphie. Eight touches, a goal, and he did lead lead the tackle camp for the day, um, which, I mean, I think is a little bit concerning. I think coming on that late, you'd hope that other players have had would end up having more tackles than him. But it, having said that, at the same time, he came on, he was fresh, he was like a bull of the gate, so he really was an impact player. So it's probably not as a bigger indictment on the other players as, as I maybe think it is. I mean, he was like a little pit bull. Um, it's like the one I've got in the back corner um, of my property that uh, keeps barking at my dogs. Finally, that Guelphie got released and boy, did he have a good quarter. As you said, eight touches, led the team for tackles and was just fantastic really. And it's one of those quarters that could really be the um, cornerstone for you know, a good solid amount of form that leads to you know going from a fringe player to potentially ending up like, say, Will Snelling, who starts to really sort of cement his uh, role on the team. Yeah, and I think that the comparison between Snelling and, and Guelph is, is pretty apt, to be honest. I think they're fairly similar in their style. And, and Snelling, for me, since he's been in the side, has been one of those, and this is no disrespect to him, but he's one of those bottom six players that you can probably have if you're going to be competing for a flag, you know, or even to win a final. We'll lower the expectations just a little because he does come on. He does get his 15 to 20 touches. He can chip in with a goal or two. He does lay his tackles. So if Guelph is going to become that sort of player, then I don't see anything wrong with that. Not every single player can average 30 disposals a game. Exactly. In the end, if he can come in, do his role. And that's what we're really about here. I know that um, I was listening to Alex Rance's podcast with um, Dylan Buckley the other day, and he spoke about how Truck was really big and Richmond was really big on players being able to come in, have their own individual role, and just be able to come in and play. So if Guelphie can really sort of match that philosophy that Truck has, then he's going to have a real career under Ben Rutten. The other player which... And I'll be honest, I probably didn't notice this until Eve actually mentioned it in the second recording of this podcast. And that's Andrew McGrath did have 12 clearances on Saturday. And he only had 25 disposals. So we're saying that, you know, half his 50% of the time when he gets the ball, he got, he got a clearance. That's pretty impressive. For a bloke that, by, I mean, a lot of people say he's out of form. I don't know if he's necessarily out of form. I think he hasn't come on as quickly as, as Hugh McCluggage has. And I, and I think that people are comparing those two more than they should. But still, 12 clearances is a pretty bloody good effort. Yeah, it really surprised me too, to be honest. I guess the question when it comes to McGrath is if he's best utilising the weapons that he has. I was thinking about this the other day, and in some capacity, he reminds me, not in terms of output, he reminds me of how Chris Judd transitioned from that sort of um, really agility-based player when he was at West Coast. And then once... Um, the OP came on for him. He transitioned into a sort of, you know, slow clearance uh, midfielder and had success doing that. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that with um, Andrew McGrath, whether by design or just how his career's unfolded, that he's taken that, um, I guess, that agility that he had when we drafted him. And now he's just that little rugged ball nugget that um, he's starting to, I wouldn't say blossom, but he's starting to sort of find his own in the contested space. And hopefully some of those weapons will come back to him. And the other, the other bloke that I was impressed with on the weekend, and I've been a big fan of his this year, and I'll be honest, I started the year, I think I may have even said in his thread that I didn't think it was AFL quality. And I had him on the scrap heap, but he's come back with a, with a fury. And that's Mason Redmond. I thought, again... 
you know, 23 disposals, not horrible by foot or hand. He actually was second to meters gained, only behind Zach Merritt. He kicked the goal himself. He had three score involvements. I think he's blossomed now that we don't have the McKennas and the Sards in that back line. I mean, we've still got Hind, but there's also that other slot that sort of floats between the half back line and wing. And I think that's what Redmond's doing now. And I think he's really enjoying that freedom. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And I think he's... um. Another guy alongside the likes of Parrish who, and even I guess um, Aaron Francis as well with Hurley being out of the side, we've really had the opportunity to make a position their own and we're starting to see the fruits of that as well. And I mean, obviously he had a down year last year, but he had shown that he was capable of this in previous seasons. So it's really great to see him actually start to deliver that week in, week out. And hopefully we get to see it for a lot more years to come. Yeah, and I'm now just going to move on to what I think went wrong. And you've heard heard me make this point. Uh, this will be the third time I've, I've made this point to you. So no doubt you have a, a well-scripted and rehearsed line. But Jade and I did touch on last week that big forwards are getting hold of the Essendon backline just a little bit. Nobody's kicked a massive bag, but we are conceding three, four, five against the Talls. Finlayson again on the weekend kicked three. Now that's not a huge bag, but with Laverde, Francis and Ridley at, in a pinch playing as key positions, our back line is starting to be a worry, which is a little bit interesting because if you'd said that at the start of the year or if you'd picked an end at the start of the year that we'd be concerned about, I would have said it was the forward line, but that seems to be clicking at the moment. It's funny that you mention that because, I mean, it's sort of a week-by-week proposition here. The back line, I thought, did pretty well, all things considered, on the weekends. I mean, Finlayson, sure, kicked a couple of goals, but three in the end, I think it was. But, you know, there was never any real point where I felt like he was dominating our players so to speak like it always felt like they were almost I don't want to call them cheap goals but it did feel like that more so than you know hard-earned goals that came through dominating one of our players but one thing I did notice on the weekend actually and we talked about Saab before and I thought lacking that sort of small to medium defender would be one of our Achilles heel this year and uh turns out that uh Ridley ended up spending over 100 minutes aligned with um Toby Green and kept into two goals. So I thought that was a little bit of an underrated, but very much um, a solid performance from Ridley there and almost like a Dustin Fletcher-esque uh, matchup with Betts all those years ago or Garlett. So when it comes to key forwards, I think we do have an issue, but in the end, if we can start getting on top of the midfield and you know limit the supply and ease of which the possessions come in and stop those over the, um, over the back goals, then you know I, I feel like it's a solid back line and it can perform. Yeah, I don't know if I'm as complimentary towards Ridley's performance as, as maybe you are. I mean, yeah, he, he did only kick the two goals, but he did still have the 21 touches and he had eight score involvements, which is still a considerable effort. It's not the right matchup, really. So it's not a terrible effort, I suppose. No, and I mean, that's the thing you've got to look at. Like, There's two things you need to look at. One, it's the quality of Toby Green. You've got to accept that there's going to be some damage that he presents to you. And if it's 21 goals, two disposals, and eight score involvements, you know what? That's almost a par game for him, if not slightly below par with how he's been performing this year. And then I guess secondly as well is that, uh, you know, you've got to look at, as you say, the matchups that we have for him. And, you know, we're asking Ridley to, for lack of a better way to describe it, but outside of his weight class, you know, obviously he weighs more. But we're asking him to a role that he was uncomfortable with and that he was ill-suited for. And, 
you know, he put up a manful effort. So it wasn't the ideal situation all weekend, but I feel like we battled through and we gave ourselves a chance to win the game. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, a two-point loss on the road in a game where we flew in and out. Now, people may dismiss that as irrelevant, but they flew in, they landed, they played, they turned around, they came home. It can't be the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, I mean, I personally thought the game was going to be moved to Canberra, and I'm still a little bit bemused it wasn't. But I think that may have more to do with the AFL wanting us to play in New South Wales and, and Sydney and getting bums on the seats more than player safety and player welfare. But I am a cynical man. The other thing I sort of noticed on the weekend, and this is again switching back to the positive, is Kyle Langford did look like he was starting to get back into form. And, and I think it was the point was made on the board earlier in the week that he usually does have a slow start to the season. I mean, we build him up all preseason. He has a slow start to the season. People jump on and declare he's not the player that we hoped and he's not this and that. That. And then he plays a few good games in the middle, and then he's excellent towards the end. And then we spend all preseason hyping him up, and then we roll over and we start all over again. Do you think maybe we're starting to see him come into a little bit of form? To a degree. Like, I mean, it's been really positive that, you know, he put himself in a position to influence the game on the weekend. Now, he kicked two late goals, and I think that sort of, um, you know, fucked the stats a little bit. But I mean, overall, his field kicking was not to the level that he'd be happy with throughout the game. I think there's still a lot of areas for him to improve. I think we can also put to bed the fact that he's not a midfielder, he's a forward. So hopefully we can actually see him down there a little bit more permanently playing that sort of high half forward role. But, you know, hopefully that sort of last quarter and as those last two goals, for instance, really do start to, you know, build the bed for him to have a really successful 2021 season. One more thing I'll touch on, and it's only mainly about the weekend, and it's only come to my attention because, again, we had a couple of midfielders get away to us to a degree. Especially Josh Kelly, who had 30 touches and kicked two goals. Taranto had 29 touches and kicked a goal. And he, Taranto also had 10 score involvements, and Kelly was pretty similar. Are we ever going to see a, a tagger played in the Essendon jump ever again? I mean, Dylan Clark, we all thought was going to be our tagger, and he did that job on Cripps. Although, you know, the way Cripps has been lately, it takes some of the shine off Dylan's performance, maybe. But are we going to see a tagger, and should we have played one on the weekend? I mean... There was a lot to choose from. Jade and I discussed last week they have an embarrassment of riches on their list still, uh, GWS. But maybe negating one of them could have helped swing things in their favour. To be honest, tag is in the AFL is a lot like a teenager trying to pick his haircut. Six months, he'll like... Six months, he'll think he likes his haircut one way and then the next thing you know, he's got dreadlocks. And that's very much the same way when it comes to the AFL's philosophy with taggers. One week, they're popular and they're sexy. And you see Dylan Clark have a good game on like, um, who was it, like Paddy Cripps last year or Nat Fife. And then three weeks later, it's abandoned. It's not thought of again until, you know, we're at last chance saloon with the player and like, okay, see what you can do as a tagger. And you know what? For Dylan Clark, it's probably the only role that he realistically has available to him. So, you know, if we really want to see if um, Dylan Clark has a spot on the list going forward, then you're probably better off actually giving him a chance to tag someone and see what he can actually do. So, look, I'm, I'm for it, but I just wish that we'd have a consistent approach to it so that if we decide that we are going to have a tagger, we roll with it throughout the season. There are going to be some very angry posters on our board that you've just said the only role Dylan Clark has is as a tagger. He was a, didn't you see his efforts as a small forward last year and the constant gloating that he'd improved his kicking, which made me chuckle at times. Well, mate, if that's going to be considered improving kicking, it's a very low barrier to entry. The reality <laughs> is Dylan Clark is competing with um, Darcy Parrish, Andrew McGrath, Jai Caldwell, um, and that's not even to the, you know, 
look at um, Zach Marriott or Dylan Shield in that sort of center bounce, center bounce arrangement. And then you look at small forwards. Is he really going to push out McDonald, Tip and Woody? Is he going to push out Ned Cahill if we decide to push him back forward? Is he going to push out Will Snelling? When I say last chance saloon for um, Dylan Clark, I mean, this is really the only role that I could sort of identify him that he can make his own that isn't under existential threat by more talented players on our list. Yeah, yeah, and look, I, I do agree. I was probably just having a little bit of fun at, at the expense of some people on our board there. But of course, we do this now. This Sunday, we have Fremantle one ten at Eddie Had Stadium. Sorry, Marvel Stadium. I still call it Eddie Had. They're lucky I don't call it Telstra Dome. Well, till they start to pay us sponsorship money, we'll call it whatever we want. Are they not paying it the sponsorship money? They're not sponsoring the uh, Big Footy Essendon Board podcast. And until they do, we'll call them whatever we want. I thought we were going to get Munich Brauhaus to do it because uh, we quite enjoy the beer and, and German food. Well, I'll tell you what, if they want to get on board with a sponsorship and some free samples, then by all means, we'll give them the time of day. But alas, the um, hills aren't alive with the sound of uh, music from them at the moment. So we'll wait until we hear from them. So, so Beerfish, you are listening and you are obviously editing this as, as the producer of the show and then the man in the background. Can you just organise the, the sponsor for us next week so we can all enjoy the, the, the free beer and uh, German food? And there is potential that you actually have no idea what we're talking about because you're obviously not Melbourne-based. But um, if you could find our sponsor for us, we'd, we'd be much uh, appreciative. But anyway, back to the Fremantle game. <laughs> just a quick shout out there. Fremantle's form this year it has been patchy. They have had some solid wins. They did beat GWS earlier, but GWS were fairly rubbish early in the season. They beat Hawthorne, but, you know, we should have beaten Hawthorne. They beat Adelaide, but, you know, again, Adelaide are not great. They belted North Melbourne, but to be honest, the only side that's going to lose to North Melbourne this year is probably us against them the following Sunday. Other than that, they've been smacked by West Coast. Brisbane handled them pretty comfortably. Even Carlton put them away pretty easily. You know, Melbourne, round one, shook off a few cobwebs, put them away. Is this a 50-50 game? Is this more likely to be a win for us, a loss for us? I mean, I, I think we should probably win. I know I'll certainly tip us, but as somebody else was saying... Somebody else the other night was saying it's going to be a eight-goal win. I don't think I'm quite that confident yet. Yeah, I don't know how you could be, to be honest. I don't think we've shown anywhere near enough consistency or ability yet to dominate a team. I mean, sure, we did it against St Kilda, but that was an exception as opposed to the rule. I mean, I think it's a 50-50 call, this one. I lean towards us purely because Fremantle will be doing a back-to-back road trip after playing in Brisbane the week before. But I think it's two pretty evenly placed teams, to be honest, in terms of where they are going for their premiership aspirations to make up of their list. The only difference being, obviously, that they have two absolute superstars in Nat Fife and David Mundy. So I don't know about you, Bonds, but have you seen a player at his age, at David Mundy's age, just excel to the level that he has? Sean Burgoyne, maybe. But even then, I reckon Mundy's probably got him covered, especially since he's travelling from Perth every, usually every second week, but um, he's obviously travelling a little bit more at the moment due to COVID. And I'd say the difference is Mundy's been the lead man, whereas Burgoyne was almost like a pinch hitter that you'd bring in late to close out a game. It's, been, yeah, that's, it's truly that's a fair phenomenal call. performance from Mundy. Yeah, I mean, Burgoyne did sort of, he was sort of a, okay, Hodge, Lewis, Mitchell have gone through they need a break. Let's throw Bergwijn in there. Whereas, yeah, you're right. Monday is still still the main man. Um, and and no, I 
I don't think anyone's rivaled him at his age for his what he's still doing. If you're going to look at it, at, I suppose, at a player in a different role, in a different position than, than Dustin Fletcher at the age Monday was at was still a gun as well, but obviously two very different players. So let me throw a question at you from before. We were speaking about Dylan Clark and do you throw a tiger at someone? Between Nat Fife and David Mundy, who are you tagging? Oh, it's still... He's still got to tag five. And I'll, and I'll admit right now, I'm heavily biased because Nat Fife's probably my favourite non-Essendon player. He is just unbelievable. And the fact that I think he's playing injured about 50% of the times um, is just ridiculous. I mean, if Nat Fife was ever fully fit and got a full run at it, I mean, we saw what he did when he won his Brownlow. So, I mean, for me, it's five. But, but Mundy's definitely got a shout as well, which is just ridiculous for his age. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um... Now, unfortunately for Fife, I don't think he can count his haircut as an injury, although others may disagree. Well, just on Fife, he has kicked two goals 15 this year. Now, he did kick one goal three on the weekend against Brisbane. So the fact that he's kicked two goals 15 for the season makes me understand that he'll probably put in you know, four or five straight against us just to really rub salt into the wound. Well, as you said, he kicked one last week, so he's in goal-kicking forms. So, you know, watch out. Um you know, it might be the, um, was it Nathan Gill special from all those years ago, back when Adelaide visited? <laughs> yeah. All he the, is hoping uh, we don't have to repeat there and that fight decides, you know, he'll bring his kicking boots and uh, kick straight because we might be in a bit of trouble if he does that. Now, we, we have touched on Fife and Mundy, but the other bloke that I think has been sensational for them this year and he's their leading disposal getter, and that's Andrew Brayshaw. And I just had to double check that it was the right Brayshaw and I wasn't quoting the Melbourne Brayshaw, but yeah, I mean, he's just been phenomenal ever since Gaff belted the Jesus out of him. So, what do you think? Is, he is reminds he me of pushing the other two as the as the player to watch at Fremantle. I I don't think you can go that far to be honest. He reminds me a bit of Andrew McGrath in that he's very much a death by a thousand cuts midfielder. Now, I think he's a great complement to star power like Fife and Mundy, but I. Just don't really see him being on that sort of A level of midfielder. Absolutely has the potential that he might get there one day, but at the moment, I don't think he's there. But by all means, it's been a solid start to the year for the kid, and I'd happily take him at Essendon. I think there's a lot of clubs that would happily take him in their best 22, and it'll be interesting to see if Melbourne do go sniffing around at all, or even maybe even Carlton. I mean, if Cripps goes back to WA, getting Bra- getting Brayshaw across, although if I was Fremantle, I'd be asking for more than just Cripps for Brayshaw at the moment, because Paddy is out of form. But it will be interesting <laughs> to see what the future holds for Brayshaw, because they are Victorian-based boys, aren't they? They're not WA. Yeah, and I think um, Adam Chera as well is a similar situation where I think clubs will see themselves as a you know, a potential chance to pry him loose as well. And that's where um, that's one area where I see Fremantle very similar to Russ is they've got a great young core in that midfield of Sarong, Chera, Brayshaw, that they can really optimistically look forward and say, you know, we've got the pillars of successful midfield here. So that's one reason why I'm really excited for this weekend, just to see how these sort of young core players actually match up against each other. Because I've got a feeling that will be one of several high-quality matches that we'll see between these teams over the coming years. The other thing I'm actually looking forward to is seeing how we go against a side that doesn't score as heavily against 
Um, it doesn't score as heavily as we do, and, and they're certainly better at defending them than we are. If you if you look, Fremantle have scored what 113 less points over eight games, but at the same time they've actually conceded you know 106 less points over the over the same amount of games. So we will find it a little trickier to score this week. I will be interested to see if we manage to keep our scoring level up, and at the same time, we'll be very interested to see how our defence goes. If, if Fremantle come out and you know, have their best game of the season and, and kick 23 goals, then I think we do really start need to start needing to look at our back line as a concern. This week could go a lot of different ways. I equally wouldn't be surprised if we sort of got a roll on and made it a pretty uncompetitive game fairly early on. But likewise, Fremantle will every chance to do the same to us. And definitely, I feel like, um, you know, especially after this, these uh, not just this coming week, but next week against North Melbourne, is a real litmus test for our list in general, just to see really where we're at and if we are developing where we want to. So by all means, if we do let through a big score this week, then questions rightfully have to be asked whether we actually are improving on the defensive efforts that we want to see. Now, I did, we did have another topic that we were going to touch on, but I am just going to pivot slightly away from that discussion. And, and moving to a, a different different area, I've just seen that Zach Merritt is close to agreeing on a contract. Uh, that's the, that's his thread title at the moment. Robbo has reported that. How much faith or how much weight do you put in Mark Robinson's mail when it comes to Essendon? I think Mark Robinson, when it comes to Essendon, can be generally pretty reliable. If we're looking for the utmost, like uh, I know European soccer fans use tier one, tier two, when it comes to the sources. I'd have probably Daniel Shoney from The Age. It's probably like the 1A when it comes to Essendon Mail. But Mark Robinson has shown over the years that he does have good connections at Essendon. So it wouldn't surprise me. And he did have an interview with Zach Merritt just the previous week. So it wouldn't surprise me if he does have some sort of insight. Now, whether that does actually lead to Merritt signing anytime soon is another matter. But I definitely feel in a much better place about Merritt potentially signing than I did, say, maybe six to eight weeks ago. Who's more important, Zach Merritt or Darcy Parrish? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, immediately you go Zach Merritt, but but Darcy Parrish, he's younger and in just as good a form. See, the age doesn't really bother me when it comes between a Merritt and a Parrish conversation because we're talking, what, two years? At the moment now, it's clearly merit, but give me another, give me the rest of the year and potentially a little bit more of Darcy Parrish performing at this current level, then I think that's a real conversation, especially if um, Parrish is able to elevate his field kicking and decision making. The other one, of course, is Jake Stringer. He's, he's out of contract, and I think I read an article somewhere on our board today that he may be looking to leave, or, oh, yeah, Slice and Dyson, sorry, did post it. It was in the age that, that you know, oh, clubs are starting to poke their ears up. I'd be very surprised to see Stringer go. Oh, likewise. I think this is very much just um, a little bit of a management leak to try and get Essendon to come to the table in regards to the salary expectations that Stringer's camp would have. I, I think, honestly, it's been a pretty fruitful relationship so far for both player and club, and I don't see any reason why anything will change anytime soon. Just more posturing at this point in the season. And let's be honest, if we actually do sign Merritt, Parish and Stringer, it would be very nice for once to actually get all our key players re-signing and not walking out the door. Oh, absolutely. It's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, the only other player, I'm just trying to look at the, the list that I think it, it says Duckworth posted it, but that was in 2007, so I think Law's updating it in the contracts thread. Nick Bryan is out of contract? Is that it? When was he drafted? 2019. So. So Nick Bryan was uh, acquired as a result of the live trade with North Melbourne that got us Harry Jones. 
Ah, right. So, um, so he was a 2019 draftee, and obviously Essendon would have no inclination to move him on. But um, we might see a very similar situation to what we had with uh, Sam Draper and St Kilda put that four-year offer before him before he even played a game. I mean, yeah. I did hear, I did see rumbling somewhere about Gold Coast potentially being into the party. So I think Nick Bryan has some decisions to make to, as to how he fits into this Essendon team with theoretically Sam Draper going forward. And, and if I was Essendon, I'd be pointing to the Melbourne setup, which has Max Gorn and Luke Jackson rotating fairly well at the moment. I mean, Jackson's been in great form as a forward, but I certainly think that Brian and Draper have that capability to, to rotate similar to what those guys, those guys do, albeit neither of them. Well, I was going to say neither of them are at that level yet. Neither of them are at Maxi's level, but some they're certainly both probably closer to Jackson's level. Well, Draper, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the end, it just comes down to ego, really. And is Nick Bryan willing to assume what would essentially be a um, number two rock spot, unless obviously form dictates that he should be number one. But in the end, he'll make a decision based upon you know how he feels he'll be able to fit into this team. And it's up to Wesley to be able to sell him the for how you described it, the Melbourne dream. Well, I will say, mate, I think that's going to do us for this evening. We're at 33 minutes, so I will call an end to the proceedings. Thank you very much for joining me this evening. Oh, absolutely, mate. Anytime. My absolute pleasure. Uh, big thanks to Ethan for trying to get on and help. No big thanks to Jade. He can get stuffed for refusing to join us this evening. Uh, next week, we are hoping to have Doss, but his manager has told me that the appearance fee will need to increase substantially before he'll even look at joining us for a five-minute burst. So I have no idea how we'll get him on for half hour. But as always, if anybody wants to join, feel free to send a message through. I'll have a chat. There are now technical limitations. There are now requirements for Beerfish, um, so he's not busy for hours on end. So if I say no, don't get offended, but it may happen. Thanks, everyone. Have a lovely evening.